Welcome back to Hot the Podcast. And uh, Talking Tokyo was a great series. We loved it. But it is over, Talking Tokyo. Because uh, Tokyo is over. Of course, the games may be over. The hockey may be over. But the stories are not. And one of the great stories that came from this past uh, Tokyo Olympic Games was the story of Rossi Peterson, the SA hockey man, going out and beating Germany. Of course, Rossi subsequently announced at the end of the Canada game that he is done. Although he kind of told us that a little bit beforehand. So, uh, joining us today to uh, talk all things hockey and all things hockey podcast. Thank you for joining us again. It's of course it's it's just time here. Yeah, Derek is on holiday. Um, you may have thought that, but with all the guys on talking Tokyo, we gave Derek some time off. He's gone to the bush. Uh, no stranger to uh, hockey, the podcast. Of course, you were with us all the way back in episode thirty-four. You're now back for episode ninety-five. But uh, Rusty, you come back as a two-time Olympian, technically speaking, a three-time Olympian. And you come back with a victory against the one of the top sides in the world, Germany. I mean, how was your Tokyo experience? How's it, Ty? Yeah, nice to be back on the podcast. Jeez, 95 episodes already. So well done. Eh? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, we just got home this week. So I think everything is just still sinking in of, you know, what we've achieved and, um, you know, what, 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 is, what has gone well and, uh, you know, what didn't go so well on that side. But yeah, I mean, after the Germany victory, I mean, that I'm sure you all saw after the game what it meant to, to us and meant to the team. Um, and it was just wonderful to get the messages back from home and, and to see what it meant for the South African hockey community. So yeah, that was a big win for us. Yeah. And it was definitely one of, one of the highlights of Tokyo. Yeah. I mean, it, it was a highlight of Tokyo, but it wasn't something that was surprising. I mean, you guys went into the games and, and although you targeted, potentially the Great Britain game and, and had a disappointing result there. Uh, there was a clear belief that you were going to get something. And we saw it in the Netherlands game. We saw it in the Belgium game, but it culminated into that German game. I mean, Russ, you've been to the Olympics. You went in 2008 as the, the reserve keeper. You didn't obviously play then. So technically speaking, you're not a, an Olympian from then. But you've been there in 2012. 2021 was very, very different from your previous experiences. Yeah, I think I think every Olympics has got a special memories and a special times. So I also, you know, I went through different phases in my career, and we also, had, you know, obviously different coaches, different personnel uh, over those times. You know, in two thousand and eight, I went as a youngster as a reserve goalkeeper. For me, it was just like you know, it was a, it was an amazing experience. You know, off the field and just realizing actually what the Olympics is all about. Um, you know, and learning as much as I could at that stage. I mean, Chris Hibbert was our number one goalkeeper, and I learned, tried to learn as much as possible from him. So, so that was that phase. And then, and then 2012, you know, when I got picked as the number one, um, you know, we had a really good team, a really experienced team, you know, 
Clark, he had his, his, his work cut out for what we wanted to achieve in London. Uh, in London, in so many games, we got so close. Uh, but, you know, if you, if you go back, you know, we got very, very close against Spain. You know, we went into the change room against Pakistan with a, you know, with a 2-2 draw and we just lost the game in the end. And even against Argentina, you know, we went 2-0 up um, and then unfortunately lost the game. So, uh, and then the only results basically we had there was a draw against Great Britain. And then, um, you know, for 11 and 12 playoff, we, we, we beat India 3-2, which was, which was nice at the end of the tournament. You know, but after London Olympics, I think for me personally, it sunk in that it felt like, you know, SA Hockey and the SA Men's team still had some unfinished business. Uh, of course, you know, we we were not sent to, to Rio Olympics. So that was not the, the, the calling. So, you know, the 2020 or the 2021 Olympic Games was personally for me um, a big a big, big thing to go to Olympics and, and to show, you know, what this is a hockey men's team's got and, you know, what we have to offer with the, with the talent that we have in South Africa. So, you know, different phases throughout the Olympics. Um, but yeah, uh, coming back now, you know, actually realizing we, we had our eyes to, to get into a quarterfinal. Um, I think people didn't realize we, we didn't play, you know, against a top 10 nation for more than 500 days. Uh, we had a proper program lined up. I mean, in, in January, before the Olympics, you know, we had the Belgians that were supposed to come out, India was supposed to come out, the Netherlands, Canada. Uh, and unfortunately with COVID, you know, when South Africa got red flag, you know, all, all of those tournaments got cancelled. So so we had to do it what we had. Um, you know, we were fortunate that our neighbours came over from Namibia and we could play five test matches to, uh, against them, you know, and all due respect to them, they gave us a good Good, good run for our money in one of the games, but you know you want to play one of these top nations. So, so it was a it was a little bit of a tricky one. Uh, we knew, you know, we could only do the best with what we had. Uh, we had two proper training camps in Poch where the guys really pushed themselves. The coaching staff has has really, you know, came up with a good plan and, and the circumstances we got. We, we, I mean, we couldn't travel. You know, no teams could come here. Uh, you know, we were also supposed to go to Malaysia, and then all of a sudden. Just before we wanted to leave, they said, well, we got 14 days quarantine there. They just went into lockdown, so we had to cancel that. So, you know, with the talent that we showed in, in Tokyo, we knew as a team, you know, what we got. Uh, for us, you know, going out there, you know, and going into halftime against Great Britain, the first game, I think the, the score was 1-1 at that stage. You know, we were a little bit peed off. We wanted to have at least one or two up in them. For a lot of people, it was a surprise. For us, it wasn't a surprise at all. You know, we went into the Olympics and we we worked out that we needed, you know, uh, Coach Ewing called it, you know, Project One. Uh, he wanted to make sure we get a result, you know, maybe out of uh, out of GB uh, or against the Germans. And then, you know, Project Two was to make sure that we beat Canada to get six points in our pool, and you know, and then and then advance to the quarterfinals. So, you know, eventually it worked out that you know seven points wouldn't have been enough. Uh, I think. You know, everybody that watched the game against Great Britain, you know, knew the second half. I, you know, I must say we we threw it away a little bit with ill discipline where we had too many cards. I think for the whole half we played with a man down um, and we just couldn't chase the game at that stage. Uh, you know, and then then going to to, to the, the Dutch game, I think, you know, going 3-0 up so early in the game, I think everybody was surprised. You know, even we were surprised, but it just felt like, you know, there was more goals left out in that game. You know, unfortunately, we came out losing 5-3, but also giving a lot of credit to 
to the Dutch keeper, Pierman Block. I think he had an amazing second half. We really tested him. Um, and he just, you know, he just, uh, I mean, he's a, he's, he's a royal goalkeeper, you know, and he just stepped up to the plate. You know, against Belgium, you know, we got it very, very wrong defensively. You know, we, we, we caught a bit of a hiding, but there was phases in the game. I think at one stage we were 7-4 down and we were still scoring goals. And I mean, there I think the guys showed what fighting spirit this team has got. You know, so going to the German game, you know, beating them 4-3, it wasn't really a fluke for us. You know, it was, we really had our plans, you know, worked out. And um, throughout the camps, we said, you know, this is how we want to beat Great Britain or this is how we want to get a, a result against uh, Germany. This is how we're going to beat, you know, Canada. We we had all these plans. So it was just on the day. And I mean, the Olympic shows on the day, if things may click, you know, you'll win. And it doesn't matter what sporting code. And I think that's what the beauty is about the Olympics. You know, you only have one chance. Um, unfortunately, we we came off the field that day with a with a four three victory. But um, like I say, it just came from hard work. You know, having such talented group of players in South Africa. You know, and having Gareth Ewing just uh, coming up with these game plans and just saying, guys, you know, here's the framework, but go express yourself. I want you guys to go play hockey. I don't want you guys to be robots. And I think that's what we showed there uh, at the end of the day. And that's, I think, what made this Tokyo Olympics so. So great for the kind of hockey that we played. Russ, let's go back to the Great Britain game. We we had that, um, yeah, that that second half of poor discipline. What do you put that to? Is it down to the fact that we hadn't played enough hockey? Is it down to lack of experience at major events? Because remember, South Africa on average sixty caps, uh, Great Britain almost one hundred and fifty. Uh, was it down to a mentality thing? Was it down to just players that need to back up? What do you what what do you think it was down to? Yeah, you know, it can go down to a lot of things. I mean, we we have to, you know, we have to own up to that. You know, like I say, the guys that got the cards, you know, after the game, maybe there was maybe one harsh card, but I think you know it comes down to that we are not playing enough international hockey. So it means we're not getting exposed to. You know, international umpires. I mean, I see, you know, Rassi was taking, Erasmus was taking out all the, the referees the other day. And it's like, you know, it doesn't matter if it's rugby or hockey or whatever sport, you know, there's different interpretations. And unfortunately, you know, in, in, in club hockey, with all due respect to, to our umpires, uh, you know, and, and our local leagues, I think, I think we, get a, we get away with a lot of crap. Um, to be honest. And and I think that was just a lesson learned for us in that day. You know, when you're going to push somebody around or, you know, when there's going to be, you know, a naughty tackle, you know, there's a, there's a lot of cameras that, that looks, uh, uh, you know, that catches you on the field. So you can't get away with this stuff. And, and you know, you've got top umpires there that can see the stuff. So I think, you know, put, off, you know, put it down to lack of experience, you know, the, for, you know, bit of ill discipline. I mean, we were very disappointed in ourselves after that game. Um, and we just, it was just like a reality check again. It's like, you know, you can't get away with this. And, um, you know, you have to, you have to keep your discipline for 60 minutes in the game. Otherwise it will hurt you. And that, like I say, we, that's the biggest lesson we took out of that. And, and we had to turn around very, very quickly. And the boys just showed it in the next couple of games. Yeah. And, and obviously we saw the discipline improved. We, we obviously 3-0 up against the Netherlands. You had a cracker in that game to to really keep us in that big moments. I mean, in Belgium, we had a terrible opening quarter and uh, we were always up against it, but we didn't we didn't back down. 
we got the German results and and there was definitely the high of the German result, but it was almost scandalous the turnaround time in that heat between the Germany game and the Canada game. I mean, do you feel like we were given not enough opportunity to to and and not just us, Canada as well, but not enough opportunity to produce as quality a game because it was it was a bit more error strown and and you could see it was two teams who. Uh, unfortunately, we knew at that stage that even a win wouldn't really have been enough anyway. Yeah, look, I mean, it was it was quite a jam-packed uh, schedule. I think we played five games in seven or eight days, so 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 it was quite quite heavy on the legs for the guys, I'm, I'm sure. And um, like everybody know, it was it was bloody hot out there. Uh, the, the German game, I think, we played twelve o'clock in the afternoon. And the next day, you know, it was 12 o'clock again. Um, but, I mean, we can't make any excuses, you know. And that, that Canada game, we we had a lot of chances uh, uh, to win the game and just to close out the game. You know, we went early up 2-0 against in, in the match. We had some other chances as well. So so we can't really blame anybody by, by, but ourselves uh, not closing out that game a little bit earlier. But, but yet again, you know... Uh, I mean, Canada is like, you cannot underestimate that team. You know, that there's a reason why that team is in the top 10 in the world for so long. You know, they, they're a very experienced uh, bunch. Uh, they've got good coaching staff. They've got a really good program. So, you know, we can't take anything away from them. We, we knew it's not going to be an easy match. Uh, it's not going to be a walkover. I mean, especially us, uh, you know, going into the tournament with the lowest rank team there. We knew there's not going to be easy, any easy games for us, but I don't think we can make any excuses. I mean, it is heavy on the legs, but I mean, it's part of the job and uh, and we knew that's going to be the schedule, you know, many, many months before. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's it's, it's the same for both teams out there in the end of the day. Unfortunately, we couldn't get that win and, and we just let it slip there, I think, in the last minute of the match. But, you know, to come out to the result, you know, like you say, it was even if we got the win, you know, a couple of months before the tournament, we thought, okay, well, six points will be enough to get through to the quarters. Uh, unfortunately, in the pool, we had Netherlands and Great Britain that drew that match, and um, and then all of a sudden, we, we couldn't get there. So, so yeah, um, I don't think you know we professionals, we we you know we the, the boys are fit, so I don't think we can put it down to that, um, and especially the Canadians. I mean, you know, we would prefer the hot weather against any European team or Canadian team that's coming from the cold. Uh, great points. I didn't think about that before. Uh, yeah, Russ, obviously, Belgium went on and won it, and uh, Belgium had a South African as the assistant coach in Craig Fulton. They beat Australia, who Dave had Dave Staniforth on the coaching staff. And, of course, uh, in bronze medal place was India, whose assistant coach is Greg Clark. So we're seeing a major South African contribution to world hockey. Uh, you know, what do we um, out on from these guys? Yeah, I mean, it, it just comes down to the point I made earlier, that the talent that we have in South Africa. I mean, we underestimate actually how big hockey, the hockey community is, and, and hockey is, you know, at school level, it is absolutely massive. I mean, if we compare it to other countries, you know, we got a massive, massive junior structure. Um, so it means there's a lot of good, good hockey players and good hockey coaches that's coming through the structure. Unfortunately, our structure doesn't, you know, after, you can say, after school hockey, offers a lot of money for these professionals like these coaches. So, so unfortunately, we do lose them, and um, they move on. You know, another name that you didn't mention 
Uh, he was keeping himself uh, below the radar as uh, a guy, Craig Siebert. He was also one of the assistants for for Canada. So, you, so he had, you know, uh, not just three South African uh, coaches in the men's set or in the men's pool there, you had four. Um, and these guys, unfortunately, have to move on to greener pastures because I think, you know, they, they, there's not just more to offer them from a hockey point of view, but financially. Um, and, you know, having Clarkie in that Indian setup. I think he's he's done wonders. I mean, he's he was a guy that gave Mike my, my first cap, and I've got, and I've got so much respect for him. I mean, he played over two hundred games, I think, for South Africa as a player, and I think he played twelve years for South Africa. So, and and all around the world, and and being a coach, you know, Clark, he knows hockey. Um, you know, maybe he didn't always get the results of the SA team that he wanted to, and um, you know, he's moved on. I mean, a guy like Craig Fulton. You know, Craig, I knew for many, many years because when I started as a junior in Pretoria, you know, he was one of my coaches and one of my mentors. Um, and I think all of them would love still to be part of the South African, you know, coaching staff. And 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 but unfortunately, just from a financial point of view, I mean, we take Gareth Ewing, the guy's not getting a pay, you know, he's a head coach. So the guys are basically volunteers. And and I think that's where we just lose these coaches. And and again, it just shows. <laughs> these guys are winning medals and, and they've got huge credibility in world hockey. Russ, uh, the last thing that I want to talk about in terms of on the field as Tokyo is when uh, the game finished in Canada, you were against Canada, you were very emotional. Obviously, uh, we knew that a year before you had already said that the Olympics would be uh, your swan song. Obviously, you had to postpone that. Uh, I mean, take, take us through the emotions of that Canada game, knowing that that was, you know, your final game for the country. I mean, you made the decision. You weren't changing your mind. And it was clear that when the final whistle had gone, you know, you and your teammates knew that that's where you stood. Yeah, yeah, Tyron, yeah. It's, it's you know, it's not, not just that game. I think it was every single game and every single moment, you know, not just in Tokyo, but the training camps and the building up to that. Uh, I think this this last year has just been absolutely incredible uh, for, for me personally. You know, we went into, just before COVID, we, we went into that German series when they were in South Africa. First, we started with, with USA. I knew, you know, I told Gareth Ewing, you know, after you know, after he took over for Mark Hopkins, I said, "Listen, if if you want me and I'm still good enough to 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 play, and you want to pick me, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you one more full go. Um, but after Olympics, I will be done. Um, you know, and it, and the plan was for 2020, um, and you know, it ended this year. But so so every single moment that I had was, you know, I cherished it. Every single training session, you know, I gave it my all, and I've enjoyed it so much. I think the last year. What a lot of people don't know, and I think it also comes down to to that this big victory over over Germany, or you know the kind of brand of hockey that we played there. And the boys expressing themselves was in lockdown. You know this team couldn't do anything but besides by sitting at home, you know, and and waiting for the training pitches to open for us again. And with uh, with with our management staff, we had two incredible guys, Craig Carolyn and Ian Shippey, uh, being our our two sports psychologists. And all we could do was like really, you know, building our team ethos and our and our and our team character and and where this team wanted to go. And I think we did a lot of soul searching, and I and I found out a lot of stuff about myself, and 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 also figured out how much why we play this game. So so 
it's been been a long haul and you know going to tokyo and also realizing okay this is your last tournament for your country you don't always think about it on the day because obviously it doesn't matter what what day or what time it is of your career you always want to do do well for your country when you wear the green and gold um and i think after that the german game you know there was a lot of emotion there already because it was just like you know we worked so hard for this victory and, and like i said it wasn't a fluke you know we worked hard for that you know and after that canadian game you know when the uh, i remember i uh, the, the goalkeepers we have a goalkeeper goalkeeper room where where they leave or where we can leave all our kit uh, and it was actually in the in the other stadium um and i went to my goalkeeper room and i had gowan jones it was my backup keeper in, in tokyo and you know me and him had a nice i can i say a nice uh, casual chat and he also just asked me how are you feeling and i said well i'm not feeling anything different you know to to any other game i just i just want to go out there and hopefully you know we can get this result to south africa uh you know padding up i was quite calm you know we went into the game you know of course i want any i think any sportsman you you want to end up your your career with a win uh, unfortunately we walked out of there with a draw but i think after that game you know a lot of lot of emotions just sunk in and it was just like you know seeing all my teammates that that becomes part of not just your mates but 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 family as well um and so so many things go through your head you know so many memories um yeah and it was all just like absolutely happy thoughts and 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 I said it in my in my in my retirement letter or my post is I honestly can say I've I retired with a happy heart. You know, hockey has given me so so much, and it, and of course, it was sad to, to to for it to come to an end. But you know, everything comes to an end. Um, so yeah, it it was a little bit emotional, and uh, you know, the messages that I got from from my teammates, from people back at home, my family, everybody, it was just just so humbling, and and people that you don't even realize has been you know. Ha, ha, you know has been watching you over so many years uh, i mean i was just i was just taken back and it was just so humbling and um and like i say i was just more just so proud of this team and that we you know maybe we didn't win the medal maybe we didn't get into the quarter final but we really showed that you know we can entertain and we deserve to be on the world stage we deserve to be at the olympics and i'm sure this team has added you know something to the quality of hockey at the olympic games and and that was for me a proud moment to say right okay i'm taking off my pads and uh, you know and hopefully sa hockey or the sa men's team is in a better better spot now and i think that's all i could wish for and and that's why i say with a happy heart i i said goodbye that day russ uh, you you obviously have experienced some great places in the world in your career obviously india more than most but uh you know, how did Japan stack up against uh, some of the other places that you have been? Uh, I mean, Japan is an incredible place, and I think I think what makes the place is definitely the people. I mean, I mean, all the athletes you see at the end of the Olympics, they, you know, they say, "Okay, thank you very much. Olympics was great. Thanks for all the sponsors. Thanks for everybody." But you can see that every single athlete talks about the volunteers, and I think the people just make Japan so special. um even with the rugby world cup you know if you look at uh, all the stadiums were packed the japanese people a lot of the japanese probably didn't even know what rugby is but they cheer on doesn't matter who's playing on the day um and i think for me it is just like every day or every match when we got off the bus you know usually you got the camera guy following you to the change room but there was just a 
a tunnel of Japanese people, volunteers, just just applauding us all the way into the change room. Um, you know, and when we got into the change room, everything was 100% perfect. If you ask somebody for something that you needed or maybe some kind of advice, maybe not all of them could stand, understand English, but they were so helpful and so friendly. And I think that's what makes Japanese uh, or Japan such a special place. Uh, unfortunately, we couldn't explore Tokyo because we had to stay inside the village. So all we could see of Tokyo was, you know, out of the bus when we were driving to the stadiums. But I mean, from what you could see, it's such a clean place. Uh, I mean, it's absolute. Tokyo is a beautiful city. I mean, it's. Uh, I never knew there's so much water going through the city. It just felt like we're just going over one bridge and another bridge uh, of just waters and canals. Uh, but yeah, I must be honest. You know, in 2012, we were there with a qualifier for London, um, and a similar experience. We were not in Tokyo, but we were in a smaller town called Gifu, and. Um, yeah, it's it's honestly a, a special place, and I would recommend it to any for anybody to go travel there. But, but now, Russ, I mean, here's here's the the thing that a lot of people they would have heard about it, but not actually understood. This was very different for you guys because, uh, yeah, I mean, with uh, everything going on with COVID. You didn't have the freedom that uh, you possibly would have had at other games. You couldn't really leave the village. I mean, what was, and, and at least you've got village experience before, but what was the village experience like? Yeah, I think, you know, your, your, your first thing is when you go to Olympics, you know, your, your, your main job is to go perform. So, so we, we, we talk about a lot of the distractions and how we can manage the distractions um, because it's so easy to get distracted with a lot of stuff that's happening around you and you, and you lose focus. Um, and I think that's what I personally learned, you know, one of the lessons when I was in Beijing, uh, when I was a reserve keeper, I was like, you know, it's so easy to get distracted with, you know, go to this event and it's important to go see this. And, you know, you walk into the eating hall and there's a famous sportsman and you want to take a photo with him or her. Um, so, you know, it, it's something that you discuss beforehand as well. Uh, you know, we had, we had obviously a big part of the group has never been to Olympics, but luckily some, most of the players went to Commonwealth Games. So they've had a similar kind of experience, what a village is like. Uh, we, we, we knew it's going to be quite jam-packed. Like I said earlier, there's going to be game after game, back to back. So there's not going to be a lot of time to go explore. Uh, we also spoke months before we went to to the olympics that we made a team call that we won't we were not going to go to the opening ceremony because we were playing that big game against great britain the next day so so everybody knew more or less what to expect when we get to the village um and also when we got there i mean first of all you're at the airport i mean i think we were stuck at the airport for six hours because you had to do all your COVID testing or all your different kind of protocols before you could enter the country um, and then you had to wait for your bus to take you to the village. So, I mean, I think we landed uh, in Japan, I think it was like 10 o'clock in the evening after a very, very long, long flight. Uh, then we started like COVID testing and all the kind of different protocols. And we only arrived at the village four o'clock in the morning. So when we got there, I think we were one of the first athletes actually arriving in the village. So we went straight to the eating hall. You know, the, the buggers, especially the youngsters, they're always hungry. So we went into the eating hall. We had whatever you would call it, dinner, supper, breakfast. I mean, we didn't know what our biological clocks were doing at that stage. And then we checked in. And then for the first two days, 
you know, you obviously have to climatize as quick as possible and also try to get over your jet lag. So, so that we also planned going before we went to the Olympics. We, we had a kind of jet lag plan that, uh, that the medical staff, uh, Doc Shang and, and, and the coaching staff has worked out. So, so there was phases while we were still in Poch where we had to wake up four o'clock in the morning and, you know, just to try to get our clocks ready. But the, the most important thing was is, is you also have to explore a little bit and, and enjoy what is going on. And I think where our management staff was quite sharp, you know, Gareth has told the guys, listen, guys, for the first two days, you know, we, we're going to have a training on the, on, the, on the second day, but go get all the crap out of your system right now. Go explore the village, go look at all the shops, go to see where every single corner of the village is, go check where all the other countries are, get that crap out of your system. Um, and in two days' time, then it means it's business time. So, so I think that was quite important. The village itself, I must be honest, was unbelievable. Uh, the village felt a little bit smaller than, um, than London, but I just think it's because the buildings were much higher. So we had in our tower, we had the, we had the Cuban team staying in there. We had uh, uh, Norway was in our tower. We, we also had the Indian team there, and we had the Irish that I could see. And then right across from us, we had our friendly... Uh, uh, well, our friends from Australia, 20 meters away, and then across from them, you had USA, you had, uh, you had Great Britain, then you had uh, on the other side of the road, you had the Italian team sharing with the Argentinian team. So it was all quite close to each other. So it was quite, in a way, I must say, quite festive. You know, there was obviously lots of protocol rules. You had to wear your mask all the time. We had to do COVID testing every single morning. Uh, you had to keep your social distance. Uh, even inside the eating hall, you had your, you know, when you were sitting at the at a table, there was these kind of screens. So you walked in, you would have put on your plastic gloves, uh, you would sanitize, of course, and then you can dish up. And then when you go sit at your table, you sit behind these see-through covers. It reminded me, you know, back in the day when you were writing exam and you were sitting very close to your mates, but uh, those ones were not see-through. Uh, and then, um, yeah, so then, like I say, it was a little bit... I can say in, in one way it's a bad thing because you would like to go watch the other events and you couldn't. Uh, but also on the other side, you know, with our program, there wasn't time to really go watch some of the other events. We did drive past some of the stadiums and saw one or two of the stadiums. And then when we were finished after that last game against Canada, you know, we, being South Africans, we thought, you know, bugger this, we're going to slip into one of the stadiums. And we just got on one of the athletes' buses uh, and we went to go watch a bit of athletics dressed up as uh, track and field athletes. So we did get a bit of a glimpse of the athletic track. But uh, all in all, I mean, the village was just unbelievable. I mean, they've got a, a proper, proper eating hall there as big as a pick and pay. You can say um, they got a clinic there. So if you needed a dentist, if you needed stitches, if you needed anything, fissure or anything, you could have had it was uh, by hand there. Um, and then, yeah, and then I think at the end, there was a there was a, a big area, big grass area. I mean, the village, for the people that didn't see on TV, it was right on the water. Uh, there was a big grass area with a big park where I think a lot of the athletes, when they were finished and waiting for their flights, because you had 48 hours before you, or you had to fly out or leave the village, a lot of the, a lot of the athletes would get together there, you know, have a cold one together, um, you know, in a, obviously in a safe kind of way. Uh, some of the South American teams will get very, very festive and they bring their loud, loud music until the volunteers or the security tells them to bugger off. But yeah, in a nutshell, 
the village was really excellent. I mean, the food was brilliant. You could have any dish from Japanese food, Asian food. There was a big halal counter, a grill counter. So, yeah, all in all, I must say, first class. All right, Rassi, but what the listeners all want is they say what happens in the village stays in the village. But what's something that happened in the village that you can tell us that people wouldn't necessarily know? Listen, there's there's no doubt about it. I think it does, you know, when the, when the athletes finish their events, it does get a little bit loose. Um I'm not going to go into much detail. I don't think there was any looseness, you know, in, in our crowd. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you do you do hear some stories. Uh, you know, you see some all of a sudden. You know, after, I mean, when we were finished, we the Canada game, like we said, was was midday on the Friday, and all of a sudden you have the Friday night, you have the whole Saturday, and we only flew out on the on the Sunday night. So so you did see the boys, you know, all of a sudden disappearing ones and twos. So I'm not too sure what they got up to. Well, maybe I know, but uh, but you keep that. And, and but like you say, well, what goes on Twitter goes on Facebook. So so go have a look for yourself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, uh, it's not like any of them fiancés were playing for Netherlands or anything like that. <laughs> yes, well, so so some they say, oh, well, you know, Timmy. Well, I didn't want to mention names, but we know old Timmy's better half, the gold medalist Ava de Goede. But uh, uh, he, he did tell me once or twice, listen, I've got a, a, a meeting now with a coach. And if I asked him where's the meeting, he said, no, all the way at the eating hall. So, so then I didn't ask more questions after that. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, look, Russ, the other thing is through your, through your career, and, and I brought up Netherlands because I know uh, a very, very good relationship uh, the South African men have had with the, the Dutch for years, uh, very respectful of one another. And, and I know you got some really nice messages, but across the globe, I mean, you know, who, who ranks up in your list of friends? Which countries have you really developed soft spots for? And, uh, you know, if you had to represent another country, which one would be tugging at the heartstrings? Yeah, look, I would never ever want to represent another country besides Africa. But uh, you do, you do get, you, you do, you do, you do really make some good friends you know, over the years. Um, for me, it's like you know, I think that the Dutch—they're very similar to us. They, they're quite festive and they're quite serious about their business. What they, you know, what they want to do. So I think there's always been a, a kind of connection there. Um, obviously, it, it is very obvious with the women, like I mentioned, Timmy Drummond. Uh, and maybe one one more guy, but uh, I think yeah, I think all in all, it's like you know, especially for for some of our players when they go play overseas. So I just saw like old Dan Bell, you know, he he plays his hockey in Belgium, so you know he's made a lot of Belgium mates, um, and not just Belgium mates, you know, one or two Argentinian players are at his club as well. So you see, you got a, he's he's maybe got a spot, special bond a little bit there with the Belgiumies. Or, or some of the, the Argentinian guys. But yeah, I must be honest, it was nice to see while we were there how many messages uh, I personally and some of the other guys I'm sure also got from our from our African friends, like especially from our Namibian community. You know, we got a lot of messages from them and saying, we're rooting for you guys, we're backing you guys and some of the other countries. So that was also special to see, you know, it wasn't just us representing South Africa, but it also felt like we were representing our continent, which was which was awesome to hear and awesome to see. And and Russ, uh, who, which countries, which uh, fellow hockey athletes 
could compete most gainfully against uh, the South Africans at a boat race? At a boat race, I would I would love to take on the bloody Aussies uh, with a big mouth. Uh, I see I saw last night on a little write up there they caught five of the Aussie hockey boys that slipped up at three a.m. to go buy beer uh, to bring into the village. Uh, I think we were one or two uh, ahead on them, but I'm not going to mention too many details or say too much. But I would love to, yeah, I would love to to, to get them in a boat race. Um, and, and, and good luck for whatever country wants to go against us as a boat race. Yeah, good old hockey fan sessions. I can only imagine how good we could be. Uh, Russ, I mean, the other thing is, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, now life continues for you. It's uh, life off the hockey field. Hockey has always been the, you know, the, the, the focus, although you've been busy with business and, and everything else, you know, what happens now? What's going to be keeping you busy now that you're not playing and chasing the, the rings around the world? Uh, well, yeah, I hope, hopefully my, my golf handicap will improve a little bit. That's, that's the first thing. But, uh, yeah, no, on a, on a serious note, uh, you know, you know even, even though I called my retirement a year or two years ago, that I knew I was going to retire. I still want to give myself just a little bit of time. Um, I'm still going to jog out for, for the Mighty Wanderers team in a, in a couple of weekends' time because now club hockey is back. Uh, and I'll definitely play IPT this year. So so I still want to play, you know, local hockey. Uh, so hence I said, you know, I'm retiring from international hockey. Uh, I, want to, I want to spend a bit more time with, with, with family and my girls. Uh, that, that's very important for me. Uh, at this stage, uh, I mean, all my all my loved ones has given me so much time away, and uh, you know, I want to catch up a little bit on, on some some my old friendships and um, and spend a bit of more quality time on that that I've missed for so long. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, you know, I'm I'm definitely I definitely I'm definitely sure that you'll see me around the hockey pitches still for for many many years. Hockey has given me so much. So many great memories, so many great friends uh, that I would love to still give back to hockey. So in any any kind of way or format, uh, hopefully you know I'll I'll stay involved. Uh, I love this men's team so much. Uh, hopefully you know in the future I can still add a bit of value, maybe a bit of advice or or help on the, on the goalkeeper side a little bit. Um, you know and um, you know you know maybe. Yeah, it's just, it's just so many things that go through my head. But uh, the the main thing is I'll, I'll always stay involved in hockey. Uh, I love the sport so much, um, and like I say, it's, it's it's given me so much over the last you know fifteen or twenty years um, that I'll always give back and always be part of this this hockey community. Yeah, and, and Russ, obviously, you've already put your money where your mouth is, quite literally, because you uh, you are the national. Uh, kit sponsor TK took over the elephants are back. Um, you know, must be a large element of pride, obviously, not at the Olympics, but but to see the national team in the TK kit um, must bring you personally a, a great level of pride. Yeah, and it's it's uh, it's yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it it's it's proud. I'm, I'm very proud to see you know when when. 
when my brand is, is stuck on, on, on my other brand and uh, the brand that I love so much uh, or both brands that I love so much. So, yes, uh, I think, you know, in, in COVID, you know, the business has been very, very tough for everybody in the sport industry. And, you know, when we signed a deal, I think a lot of people in my office asked me, you know, you're obviously not doing this with your head, you're doing this with your heart. Uh, but, I, yes, definitely first with my heart, uh, but definitely also my head. I know what these two national teams has got. I know what what product these two national teams, the SA men and the SA women, can put out there. And that, then I'm not even touching about our great juniors that's coming through at the moment. So, yeah, we definitely proud having the elephants on the shirts, um, you know, and, and, and hopefully people will like the kit and the, all the players that I like the kit and hopefully we'll see the kit on the podium soon. And, and Rasa, I mean, another thing that you were very, I mean, you, you and I spoke, uh, you know, behind the scenes that uh, that you were very keen on was making kits available for supporters. And, and obviously you've seen that uh, available on tksportssa.co.za. You can get yourself the pink goalkeeper kit. You can get the green kit. You can get uh, a jumper, a jersey, which uh, I actually wore playing golf today. Uh, you know, that that was a big part of your focus, and and is that something that uh, TK will be doing more of as you offer more options in the future? No, for sure. I think you know it is it is something that I think we've lacked for so long, and 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 SO hockey is like you know our supporters they crave, you know to 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 you know have something you know to show that they that they're part of this team, that they're supporting this team, and. You know, uh, for, for me, it was an absolute no-brainer. Uh, you know, not just a business decision. Yes, I mean, that's where, you know, from a business point of view, you want to try to make some of your money back out of your sponsorship. But it, but it's more just just seeing our people not just wearing a Springbok jersey or not just wearing a Pratias cricket shirt or Bofana jersey, but also seeing, you know, people walking proudly with their, with their SA hockey shirt and on the weekends or when we're playing in tournaments, you know, seeing the community, you know, supporting us, but actually wearing, you know, the badge on their chest and, and, and supporting the team, you know, that they love so much. So, yes, I think that that's a big, big drive for us. And I think it's, I think the hockey community has cried out for so long for something like that. So, yeah, that was an absolute no-brainer for us. And, and definitely we, we're going to build out on the merchandise and then and people will see soon there will be more merchandise available. Um at this stage, you know, it's, it's not in the stores yet, but it's it's available online. Uh, already we've got support from Take-A-Lot that has taken a whole lot of replica shirts. It's available on Take-A-Lot. Planet Hockey has taken a whole lot of shirts. Um, and then, of course, like you said, on the on the TK website or on the TK online store, tksportssa.co.za, all those items are available. So, yes, I think it is it is something that, that, uh, that we that we owe to the hockey community, that we owe to our supporters. And yes, we, we're definitely going to keep on driving that. Yeah, it is fantastic. Of course, we also have the Semunya kits that I have and my son has. And, you know, it, it's great. I, I've always said, you know, one of the dreams that I had back when I first started all things Jabu, which, uh, yeah, Jabu, I said that's so American, all things Jabu, um, <laughs> You know, that I started back in 2010 and hockey, the uh, sports 24-7, hockey 24-7, before we eventually landed on hockey, the magazine, and hockey, the podcast, uh, was that's something I want. I want kids to to go around and wear the shirt of a hero. You know, the way when the Springboks play, 
you see everybody wearing green. I mean, on on Saturday morning, both my boys and myself, we were wearing our Springbok jerseys as the Springboks were going to play. And it's the same I want for the hockey. When the hockey guys are playing, I want to see people out having bras and and getting together to watch us. And, and yeah, sure, we're not at rugby level, but it's a big step in the right direction for me. So uh, well done to, to you and TK. Uh, one of the, the things that uh, a lot of people have spoken about um, post, uh, post Tokyo is the need for our players to go play overseas. Rush, you, you played overseas a little bit, but uh, you've spent the last couple of years here in South Africa, obviously, because of business and stuff. I mean, how important do you think it is that the guys get over there and, and play? Uh, yeah, Tyron, at the, at the moment, it's so, it's so important, especially for our younger players. Um, because, you know, unfortunately, our club structure and our club leagues, with, with all due respect again, you know, the hockey is not, it's, it's not the quality that, that a top hockey player, you know, needs at this stage. And, and, and I really hope and I know there's been a lot of talk behind the scenes that, you know, they want to bring, you know, proper structures into South Africa. And, and we all know that that costs money. Uh, but for now, you know, the, the, getting our boys into the top leagues is very, very important. Uh, uh, you know, it's, it's nice to see after this Olympics, a lot of our boys, you know, a lot of clubs has been reaching out now to the guys, giving them some offers. You know, especially the German, the German league, the Bundesliga is, is an excellent league. You know, you you know every weekend back to back, you're gonna have a, a top top uh, match. You know, very very close to international level because so many international stars are playing in these leagues. You know, we all know the Dutch league is the Playboy league. Uh, they, I mean, you you in the in the tw- twelve teams in the Hope Cluster, in every single team you'll find some international stars in that team. You know, in the Dutch, you know, the Dutch hockey. Hockey is a, is a lifestyle, so you see a lot of Dutch talent coming through there. Then, of course, we've seen over the years the Belgium League just getting stronger and stronger. Um, and then also, you know, not taking anything away, but the but but the but the, the 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 league in the UK as well. So, so for for the youngsters, you know, SO Hockey will probably be angry. What I'm saying is, but for me as a youngster, it is it is so important if you want to you know play top hockey in your life one day and play for South Africa. You know, you need to try to fast track yourself as quick as possible. And the only way you can do that is getting overseas and, you know, go play into these top clubs. But in saying that, you know, sometimes you can have a really bad experience and, and, you, and you go to a different league. I mean, there were stages where we had some of our players compl- playing in, in unfortunately, in, in, in the wrong countries where it didn't really help their, 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 their hockey at all, where they went there and saying, okay, well, I'm going overseas to go play international hockey. But the league wasn't good enough. Um, for me, it was, I mean, I, I, played, I played one season in Holland in 2011-2012 and I played in the Hockey India League in 2015. For me, it helped me a lot. I mean, 2011, I mean, that was one of the, I think one of the, the uh, like any athlete can have, it was one of my lower parts of my career where I got dropped. Uh, and I don't know if people can remember, I got dropped in 2011 for Africa Cup. And for me, the only way was, I remember having that chat with, with Clark, he, he was the coach at that stage, and Mike Bichet, who was the convenience selectors at that stage, behind the old LARPA there at Randburg after IPT, and they said, listen, bugger, you, you're not on form. I mean, at that stage, 
I think I went through that phase where I was a little bit too big for my shoes. I didn't train like I should, and I was just just relying on on my talent. And I was number one keeper. Um, and they they told me they're going to drop me for Africa Cup. And the first thing the first thing that came of mind is like, okay, well, I need to improve myself. And the only way I could improve myself was to reach out to clubs, you know, overseas. And and luckily, I got I got uh, I got the phone call from Bart Lawyer. Uh, he was the head coach of Scarvada. He was also the Dutch goalkeeper in 2000 when they won the gold medal uh, at, at Sydney Olympics. And it was a no-brainer for me to go. And that that definitely made the difference. I mean, I came back back as a much better goalkeeper, much better player. I had a different kind of view of goalkeeping and how I wanted to play my game. I was much sharper, but it also made me a better person and actually realize, you know, what you have to do to 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 be a top player. So yes, I'll definitely I'll definitely say to any any youngster, if you get the opportunity, take it, but also make sure that you're going to the right environment because it can easily happen that you go to the wrong club or you go to the wrong league. So really do your homework first, talk to players that's been there before, talk to 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 some people that's got a bit of business savvy, that you don't sign a, a contract where you go there and all of a sudden you can't come back for IPT or some other tournaments. That is also important that you that you can carry on playing you know your hockey for South Africa or for your local IPT teams. That's that's very important. Russ, I, I, the other the other thing and and <laughs> It would be wrong to not ask this. Now that you've retired, how frustrating is it that over the 160-odd caps that you, you earned for South Africa, that we never really got a big sponsor to back the men's program? Uh, Ty, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's, I look at it two ways. And, you know, now after, after I've retired, you know, I think a little bit of, automatically think a little bit back in my career where it all started and you know where it all finished and you know the one thing that 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 I don't think people has realized I think for me it was clear as daylight after 2012 Olympics how professional our sport has gone I mean you take Argentina you know in 2011 we we beat them in a bronze medal game in, in champs challenge in 2012, they went professional. And in 2016, they won a gold medal um, in Rio. Um, and it's, it, and that's, that's not a fluke. You know, that's just by putting money into the sport. And, um, and I think sometimes we have the mentality in South African sport is, you know, they want you to win a medal first or get into the top five in the world first, then you'll get sponsors. And it doesn't work like that. You know, I had a, I had a chat many, many years ago <laughs> To, to Olympic swimming coach. And he, he said, and I actually think it was in the Beijing Olympics where I was just sitting on the bus and I was just chatting to this guy. And he was just saying, you know, at that stage, he told me they were investing $4 million into a medal. Um, and, I, and I didn't really understand what he was saying. And he explained to me, he said, well, you know, that $4 million goes into that athlete to make sure that athlete gets what he or she, what he or she needs to get into the tournaments, to get the right nutrition, to get the best coaches. You know, and maybe this athlete doesn't peak at this Olympics, but the next next Olympics, this athlete will, you know, win that gold medal or win a medal. Um, and I think that's a mentality we have. On the other side is is you know I also think about myself. You know how much character this team has shown by not always having you know a lot of money behind us or sometimes have no money behind us. Uh, I take 
I take, for instance, my best memories was, you know, when um, when I look at my career and somebody asked me the other day, what was the highlight of your career? Was this German win at, at Tokyo? Yeah, definitely. It was one of my highlights. But I think I think my highlights always came out of the toughest parts uh, out of my career. You know, the the one was in 2012 when we when we qualified for for Olympics, when we won Africa Cup. And Saskok told us, sorry, uh, we, we, we're not accepting this qualification because they thought the African tournament wasn't good enough. And they gave it to, I think, Spain took our qualification. And then, um, and then we had another opportunity where we could go to Japan to, to go play in an international level where they said, okay, fine, if you qualify on the world level, then we will send you to London. And at that stage, I mean, we, we didn't really have a lot of money. And, uh, and also, I mean, the hockey community jumped in. And somehow, I don't know where Clark and them got the bucks. We got, went to Japan. Uh, and, I'll, and I'll never, ever forget that final, what the guys showed in the last, I think, last 20 minutes against Japan. Uh, I mean, I remember Thornton McDade scored an early goal where he just scribbled the goalkeeper on the baseline, put it away, and we went one all up. The Japanese came back and we were 1-1. When we scored a second goal, it was 2-1. And it was that last, I think, five minutes where the Japanese pulled off their keeper and they put on a kicking back. And I just saw this guy in the bib and they just bombarded us. Um, you know, and I, and I remember making one save after another save and the guys really get their knuckles on the ground. And it's, and it's those memories, you know, we luckily we pulled it through and we qualified. Those kind of memories. You know, and, and, and the next one is going to back to when, the, when we had to go to Ismailia in 2017 to go qualify for for the World Cup. Uh, I mean, the, the the Africa Cup just kept on moving and moving out uh, because it was in Egypt, and Egypt at that stage was was a danger to travel with. There was some unrest there, so we didn't know if we were going to go to Egypt or not. And also, we had no bucks, and, and, and at that stage, I think the tournament was in October, and all our European team, all our European players were the European clubs, and the, and the clubs just refused to release the players. Uh, at that stage, we also, I don't know if people can remember, we, we didn't have a coach. Uh, so Sheldon Rostrin, he had, a, he had to split himself up in two. You know, he was the ladies coach at that stage. Um, and then he had to take over the men's team. And I'll, and I'll never, ever forget, the, uh, one Sunday he phoned me uh, and he said, listen, I have to have a meeting with you right now. He drove to my house and we sat down. And he said, listen, okay, we need to plan this. We, we don't have money. Uh, we don't have some of our, you know, European players. So we're going to take a young team and we need to plot this out. And, we, and, he, and he opened his book and there was so much scribbling in his book with, with players. It was 40 players he was talking about. And we basically came down. He was talking about, you know, who's the guys that you'll take to war with you because we're going to go to war. And, and we flew into Ismailia. Uh, they kept us uh, under, obviously, uh, um, you know, how can I say, uh, on a, the, the accommodation where we stayed, we couldn't go anywhere. We had all these army guys looking after us, um, and 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 we somehow pulled off that final uh, against Egypt. I mean, again, it was a close score. I think we won two one. I'll never forget it. We were one one, or no, we went one all down very early in the game. Then we then we equalized, and the Jippos, they they were just coming at us. Uh, I remember we we gave a pass straight to one of their strikers. Fortunately, I got one one toe on the ball with a, with a two on one, and the ball just went straight back to the striker on off a rebound. And and I promise you, my eyes were closed. I just stuck out my hand, and true as Bobby hit the ball into my hand. And then eventually, you know, we won that game two one, and 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 the the final whistle went where I saw guys just dropping in our circle where where the Egyptian team was bombarding us. 
And it's those kind of memories that you'll always remember where the team was really fighting in the middle, where they dropped us off in the desert with not a lot of funds, but somehow SA Hockey got us there. Um, that, that builds so much character and that, that actually tells a better story uh, around that. So, so in the one way, it's like, yes, always been sad that we didn't have a sponsor, but a lot of lessons came through this and a lot of characters been built by, you know, drinking out of a tap, you know, and, and always punching above our weight. Well, well, you mentioned that. So, Russ, I'm going to ask you if you can pick a f- couple of games. Obviously, we know the German one, but a couple of games over your career that just stood out for you as uh, making that bigger impact. Yeah, I think definitely those two games. Uh, I just think the mag- magnitude of it is like, you know, qualifying for Olympics or qualifying for World Cup. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, there, there, there's a lot of games that stand out. Uh, I mean, the first time I won IPT in Joburg, you know, in that final, that's that's a small thing. But I think for South Africa, it was also in London when we beat India. Um, I think that was quite nice. Also, in that same Olympic Games, when we played against Great Britain, you know, in England, in London, you know, in a jam-packed crowd. You know, I remember when they were singing the anthems, I mean, this this whole stadium just exploded when, when God Save the Queen played. I mean, it was such a brilliant atmosphere. Uh, unfortunately, we, we will still talk about that second goal about uh, of Great Britain, if it was a goal or not, uh, if we drew that game. That was one of them, but, you know, Ty, to be honest, yeah, <laughs> we all know it wasn't, but uh, we'll leave it there. But uh, Ty, there, 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 there's so many... So many great games that I can think about. Uh, I remember 2007 also, you know, when we got a result against the Germans, but I don't think it was an official game. Uh, they, they, it's always nice flipping one of the big teams, but, uh, you know, it's always the, those qualifiers, especially in those those Africa Cup finals. You know, a lot of people don't actually realize how difficult it is to go play hockey in Africa. Um, you know, it is... For, for me, you know, I always say it's so much easier playing against a European team because you, knew, you know more or less what to expect. You've got quite a bit of video on them. Uh, they play more structured hockey, so it's easier to prepare against them. When you go play in Africa, you know, you don't know, you don't know what you're going to get. And, and the, you know, the African teams, they're great athletes. They want it as much as you want it. Uh, they also want to qualify for the World Cups and Olympics. So, so there's always those, those African Cup finals. are always a tight one against us in Egypt. Uh, but also the Kenyans and, and Ghana has also pushed us in certain games. So you'll always also remember those, those African Cup finals. It's just because of the magnitude of that game um, for qualifying for these big tournaments. So, so there are so many. But I remember 2012, Japan, Kakamegiara, that one stands out. And then definitely that, that one in 2017 in Ismailia, those two games stand out. Yeah, we, we love them. There, there's a whole bunch more. I mean... The, that you played in and you featured in and and obviously uh, as as you reflect over the next couple of months uh, no doubt you'll remember more and more great memories of them russ number 23 is not a normal number for a goalkeeper but it is the number of uh rusty peterson we what <laughs> you know why why not number one so yeah it is, it is actually strange so my my first ever jersey that I got was 23. And it, it's so funny. So when I just started playing hockey, so for, for people that know, I actually only started playing hockey at the age of 18. And, and I remember I had this 
blue jersey. It was actually not even a hockey smock. It was a, like a proper ice hockey jersey. This blue jersey with this massive 23 on it. You know, and my and my and my first, you know, big tour. You know, obviously the the club manager or the varsity manager, you know, just said, okay, you're obviously number 23, and he just made me a 23. So I mean, I just stuck with that number. And then I realized, oh, but Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan, Jordan actually stole my number. And then I, th- and then I saw Beckham and Real Madrid also stole my number. So I thought, okay, well, this is then a decent number. And then in 2010, for the first time, I played with a, a, a different number in Commonwealth Games. So so for some reason, Saskatchewan said we could only choose between one and sixteen. So so I got the jersey number one. And it wasn't one of my best tournaments. So that's why I just axed the number one jersey and I just stuck with the 23. And yeah, and that's just been my number from, from day one. Uh, it's absolutely brilliant. Look, uh, uh, my, my number on a shirt has always been 21, which is easy because they usually selected the first 16 and I wasn't in it. So then 21 was fine. Um, but but I, just but, because I got a shirt with number 21 on it once and it stuck. That's it. But the only downfall is that 23 is not that lucky on the roulette table. That I've also seen over the years. So <laughs> that's a... <laughs> yeah, look, I, I, I like to say that there's deeper meaning. Like uh, 21 is half of the meaning of life being 42 and I'm halfway there. But in all honesty, it was a shirt that I was given that had my name and number on the back. And it just became yeah. special. No, it's, I mean, it's the same with me. That 23 was just tattooed on me. And yeah, that will always be my number. And uh, yeah, and that's how it was. Including your handicap when we're on the same team in golf? Definitely. Well, this, this weekend is definitely 36. So yeah, so just, just tell the boys. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> 36 for the front nine. Uh, Russ, uh, I mean, obviously, uh, we... Uh, we, we won't be chatting to you as a national player, but we'll still be chatting to you again in the, in, in the future uh, as you continue to be involved in the game of hockey. Let's do some, some quick questions uh, and uh, to, to wrap us off. Let's start with uh, which country made the best food for you over the years? The best food? Ooh, definitely Argentina. Absolutely love, love a steak. So, you know, being Afrikaans boy from Rustenburg, I think that's why, yeah. So, uh, yeah, definitely in Argentina and then in Chile as well. Similar similar kind of grill, similar kind of cows. Uh, striker with the worst drag flick to defend against? Jeez, uh, after Tokyo, I would definitely say Mr. Hendricks. But, um, but I must be honest, I, I, always, I always had to take a very close look. I always had good stats against Suhail Abbas, uh, funny enough, and I mean, he was one of the greatest. But I always had to have a very, very close look at Kumara from, from Spain. He just had a kind of technique where he got it in the crook, and it was so difficult for me to read. So I, I really had to pay close, close attention, you know, to him. I must be honest, uh, I remember touring to Argentina. We played five test matches against uh, Against them with a very, very young team. And, and Mr. Pellat has flicked me one or, tw- one, one or two balls against the nose where I could feel it. Like this guy can flick. But yeah, I would say definitely. Kamada, in a way, he probably doesn't know it. But uh, yeah, he was a tricky character for me. And then definitely Hendrix, I think in the Olympics, he just showed his class. He just, he flicks such a, such a hard ball. He's such a clever flicker. You can see he really does his homework on the goalkeepers, uh, you know, how he executes his plan and just giving goalkeepers 
off balance, you know, and 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 just putting him into certain certain spots. It's not it doesn't always go into the corner, but he puts it in certain kind of spots where he just outthinks the keeper with a lot of disguise and a, and a very quick and hard ball. Naughtiest roommate you ever had on tour? Definitely Julian Hikes. Oh, crikey Moses! So. So, geez, he's going to hate me for telling the story, but uh, I want to tell it in any case. So, so Com Games 2014. So, for the people that don't know, so Julian Ikes is one of the fittest guys, you know, in our team that I ever knew. Uh, obviously, everybody knew he was one of the fastest guys in the, uh, when he was playing as world hockey. But he did have a bad, bad habit once or twice. He would, uh, I don't know if he got too nervous, whatever, but he'll always have somewhere a packet of cigarettes lying around. And I remember in Glasgow, Commonwealth Games, he was my roommate. Um, so he knew and I knew. I mean, we became very, very good friends over the years. We made our Dave Davies together in 2007. So across from us, across from our building, we had the, we had the, English, the English team staying there. And we also had the, right, obviously there, we had the, it was obviously the rugby sevens as well. So these boys, they they finished their, their tournament quite early. And of course, on the last night, they got absolutely plastered in the village and these guys were drinking and boozing. And what Julian was doing, so every morning he would get up and he'll go to his secret spot to somewhere in the bushes where he'll have, you know, one or two, one or two smokes. And I told him, I said, Julian, this smoking is going to get you into shit, though. Um, excuse my French, but those were my words. And he's like, no, 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 just, just, just one or two for the nerves for a day. And um, and I remember coming back from breakfast, and I saw this accreditation hanging on our on our door handle, and it wasn't my accreditation, it wasn't Julian's accreditation, and I also saw Julian's shoes lying outside the outside the house. And I was like, what the hell is going on? So I'm like, Julian, what is going on? And he's like, you, and he was just shouting in his way, and he was so angry. He's like, no, I'm going to go look for this guy. Is one of these uh, English rugby players. I'm like, what do you mean? He says, well, he went to his normal smoking spot and then he could smell something that's not smelling very, very, you know, you know, normal and he couldn't bear it any- anymore. And he actually realized that he was standing in something, uh, the stuff that I told him he's going to get himself into. So literally he got himself into shit. And that was, that was, that was, that was, that was a lesson. But he took, he stole this guy's accreditation because this guy left the accreditation right there. This is how drunk this guy was. And, uh, and he made sure that he was going to go find this guy and give him a lesson or two. Uh, brilliant. Uh, yeah. Best finds master. Best finds master, I must no doubt coach Gareth Ewing. So, so Gareth Ewing, I mean, you won't say it now, but when I was a youngster, he was one of my coaches and he used to love a jaw when he was still still, still young. Um, but he was absolutely brilliant. And then another guy that uh, I don't know if people can remember, Spider Murray, he also played for South Africa many, many years ago. He was one of the top guys and he had one of these, uh, you know, one of these things in the fines meeting was when he was showing us the Olympics, he could do the Olympics, any kind of event, especially track and field, the javelin throw and fast forward in rewind and in slow-mo. So, yeah, definitely those two guys. Absolute, like, pivot. The the person you would rely on the most to take the final showdown in a shootout. Oof. Uh, yes, definitely one of those two Kasim brothers. 
Um, I must be honest. These two boys, they back themselves. So I've, I've never seen boys with so much skill, but also so much confidence. Yeah, so I, I would definitely say those two Kasi brothers, I, I would back them in any day. Favorite club to play against? Favorite club to play against? Uh, yes, let me think. Uh, it's always lucky giving old heads a bit of a hiding. Um, when we play against them, there's always a rivalry because I think you know you got your university teams that we always play against. But you know the Wanderers and the old heads boys, those are the those are the working class guys. Um, you know, and that plays for a lot of pride on the weekend and obviously for one or two toots afterwards. Yeah, so it's always lucky to 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 beat old heads. Um, and yeah, sometimes the JP boys as well. And and toughest club game. Yeah, I would say you know the the varsity youngsters. You know, UJ has always always been fit. I mean, Vitz has always been fit. You know, always have to be smart around them. We always try to beat them with experience. You know, but you know that last ten minutes of the game, it's always tough against those youngsters. But yeah, I would say yeah, oof. I would say these little varsity boykies. I won't say it out loudly to them, but yeah, I think I think between Vitz and UJ, they've always been always been tough buggers. Naughtiest female hockey player in terms of like fans and party animal. Jen Wilson. <laughs> so, so talking about roulette, uh, I remember Jen Wilson. I mean, in my first, my first Africa Cup ever. That was in two thousand seven. I think we went to Kenya, um, and Jen was still in the team, and we lived right across the road from what was this place called Safari Park, but Safari Park at a casino. So I remember on the last night after after a fines meeting, after we won the Africa Cup, Jen Wilson pulled me to a roulette table. She said, listen, boy, let me show you how you play roulette. And we got stuck there for, I think, before the bus left for the next day for the for, for, for our flight. So Jen Wilson is available, or she's no longer the Scotland coach. Maybe uh, she could come back and be a uh, Mental or relate coach for the team? Yeah, well, I, I think, uh, yeah, we did, we did, yeah, we did get lucky on the relate tables that night. That sounds not weird, but we did, yeah. we did have lots of fun. Uh, but <laughs> uh, uh, uh. Uh, all right, and uh, the best wingman in the team? Uh, I got to say, my roommate, or Tim Drummond. Um, yeah, he's an absolute legend. I mean, he, he's a, I would say, a silent assassin. Um, uh, you won't agree with me with that, but yeah, he is such a champ. Uh, you know, I was I was saying, you know, if he he's he's the only one that could could prove to people that my snoring is not that bad. So for ten years he's been my roommate. So yeah, top top wingman Tim Drummond, absolute legend, uh, great captain. Um, yeah, and such 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 a special character in the team. Yeah, and great mate as well. And uh, a teammate. Doesn't have to be national, can be club or provincial. Teammate who's uh, the biggest cell phone addict? Oh, geez, Tyson. Tyson is by far. I mean, it was, uh, we actually, <laughs> actually, funny enough. So we had, we were very fortunate to have Cheryl Calder doing, doing our eye gym for us. Um, you know, Red, Red Bull sponsored us uh, a full session with, with Cheryl for, for the last couple of months for eye gym. Uh, building up to the Olympics. So the people that don't know what iGym is, it is, 
It's basically brain, your, your eyes and brain training. So she's worked with the top teams. When the English won the Rugby World Cup, she was with them, with the Boca, with Ernie Else when he won the Open. So she actually explained to us, you know, screen time, you know, you know, you have to be so careful. You know, they, she calls it the screen cocaine. It's like if you watch, if you look into your phone, you know, for too long, you know, it can be very, very bad for your brain and your eyes. And then when the guy started pulling out their phones to look at the screen time, he was by far, by far. I think he, he actually panicked a little bit. We still don't know what his screen time was because he didn't want to show it to us. And I mean, I've had a lot of screen time at five hours. So I don't want to know what his, his screen time per day was. So definitely Tyson. And, and, I, and I'm sure everybody can see it on social media. What a great lad. He always, he always talks to the hockey community on his social media and he's expressed himself. But yeah, no doubt Tyson. Yeah, I mean, he also did a really uh, nice thing. Calvin Watts obviously been a significant role in his life and he gave him a, a signed shirt. So, Rossi, I mean, same question for you. Who, who's that one person you're giving your signed shirt to? Sure. Uh, well, look, my, my, my mom and my dad, yes, they played such a big role. I mean, I, they are by far my biggest heroes and they've, They've done so much for me and, you know, wherever I got in life, you know, if it wasn't for the two of them, I mean, they've just been been right there for me, you know, in the good times, the bad times. Uh, sometimes when I needed to get a kick up the butt, they would give it to me. Um, some wake-up calls, you know. Uh, I've just been very, very fortunate having great parents, you know, mentoring me, um, you know, and, you know, they've just been always, I mean, it was very sad for them that they couldn't be, in Tokyo at my last game. But, you know, I know they were there in heart and, you know, they also got all emotional when we got back from Tokyo at the airport with a surprise. They were there all in tears. So, yeah, definitely, yeah, definitely those two people. I'll give my my best jersey, my best smelliest jersey. Hopefully, we'll have the smell of victory still on it. But, yeah, definitely those two people. Yeah, so that's Rassi Senior. Uh, getting Rossi Jr.'s sweaty Germany jersey. That's going to be amazing. Rossa, what about who who in the hockey community needs anger management the most? Ooh, anger management, uh, besides myself at halftime, uh, I would say definitely our grumpy Nick Spooner. I think he's been spending too much time in Germany. So so he, there's definitely, a, we, 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 you know, we call him the, 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 well, <laughs> Brett Tucker's given the nickname Bushpig, so he can moan a lot. Uh, also, back in the day, I remember Lloyd Norris Jones or Chucky had a bit of a temper on him. Uh, but I think any bit of a crazy striker's got a bit of a temper on him. But yeah, definitely, definitely those two guys. Oh, and I must say, Clark here as well. Greg Clark in <laughs> 2012 needed anger management. I mean, it was the best. Seeing Clarky once he walked into the change room and he just said, My frustration is the manifestation of the shit that you guys are dishing up. I'll never ever forget that. And myself and Brendan Burtis, we just pissed ourselves in the change room. Oh, yeah. Beautiful. Um, and then, yeah. uh, you know, who is the most likely uh, to, to use a leather wedge on the golf course? You know, just to get a slightly better angle. Sorry, sorry, rephrase that. Yeah, who's most likely to uh, find every single golf ball that they they hit in a round of golf? You know, even if it disappears into the rough, they'll still find it. 
Um, yeah, I would I would say definitely not that he hits a lot of balls in the rough, but I'll definitely say Tim Drummond. Um, again, uh, dark horse there, and then also playing playing golf with Nick Spooner, you also go look for every single ball. The round also gets longer and longer and longer, and it's usually my ball, not his ball. But uh, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, uh, Russ, I mean, you you've sung next to you a few people. You've sung the national anthem standing next to a bit. You know who 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 should enter idols. Listen, Matthew Goose Brown, hands down. So, for the people that don't know, is this guy? He went to Maritzburg College, but he was also in the choir. But listen, I can't remember when was the first time I stood next to him in the anthem. I think it was 2015 or 2016, one of those Africa Cups, and he just he just started belting, causing causing Sikilele out, and I thought to myself. Holy crap, this guy. I mean, it was so entertaining just standing next to him. I mean, the next anthem I want to, uh, next match I want to stand next to him too. So now he just started playing the guitar. So he actually had his guitar in Tokyo and in Poch. And he's, I think he's, he wrote a couple of songs. I don't know, two, two. I think definitely some, one or two females in, in England where he plays his hockey. Uh, so if you ever catch Matthew Goose Brown, we begged him to play. Or to serenade for some girls there at the Olympic rings in the village uh, some nights. Unfortunately, he didn't get there. But if you ever catch him, ask him to put out his guitar and, 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 and play some tunes. But definitely, he's the most musical hockey player that I know with quite a nice voice. And any other players that have hidden talents that, you, that we don't know about? Uh, yeah, Diane Kasim, uh, not a bad dancer. So if you see him, and also a bit of a a proper rapper as well. So if you see him, ask him to do the CPT song for you. That gets us also fired up for some matches in the change room when, when the boys clap out the, the CPT. And, uh, yeah, lastly, uh, who, who or, or let's rather ask it like this, what is your ultimate go-to playlist or, or you know, songs before a game? Yes, it's so weird, eh? It's... Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't often listen to music before a game, um, but you know, I catch myself. You know, I just think in Tokyo, I, I listen to a little bit of music on the bus, and then I just went through my playlist. So, funny enough, uh, it's like old stuff. Like I like a bit of the cranberries, and then I get myself with the Fujis, and then like, you know, not to give my age away, but yeah, I'm, I'm quite diverse in music. Uh, but it keeps on changing. Yeah, I must be honest. But I'm I'm not massive on the on the music. Uh, besides, when the when the youngster starts, you know, pulling out the boombox on the bus and they're playing the, the some of the crap that I don't like, then I'll put the headphones in. And uh, yeah, I mean, Russ, when you're on tour, what is your go-to screen time? Like, what is it? Is it series? Is it movies? Is it Xbox? Is it nah. WhatsApp? Yeah, it's never never been Xbox. It's never been yeah, really series or movies. I never got into that. But yeah, I think yeah, I think definitely my work has always kept me busy while I was away. So it'll be between WhatsApp and, and emails that that will keep me busy. And then yeah, yeah, the, yeah, I enjoy a bit of social media, um, bit of banter between between my mates and lads. Yeah, but I think in my over my hockey career, I've, I've worked right through my hockey career. Um, so yeah, so work has always kept me a bit of busy. It wasn't a bad thing. So sometimes you got to get your mind off, off the hockey. Uh, so yeah, so that that I think has has kept me a bit occupied. 
and I love, I love, you know, when we're on tour, I love to go do a bit of sightseeing and, you know, get out the hotel, get into a taxi, give the taxi a couple of bucks and just say, take me to all the local spots. I love, I love doing stuff like that just to get out too. Russ, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure, not just tonight, following your career, uh, you know, chatting about it on a golf course, uh, seeing you in action, obviously more action still to come, as you said, still available for RPT, still available for Wanderers, obviously uh, that would open up the door to the Belgatex Elite Challenge, uh, so lots of opportunities out there for guys to still see you, still around the hockey field. But it's also just been a pleasure going down memory lane with you, chatting about things. And uh, it was absolutely a pleasure watching you in action, still being probably at the top of your game. And uh, you would have had very few people arguing if you had said, nah, let me carry on for another year. So uh, well done from, from the Hockey the Podcast team on an incredible career, on being a great servant for South Africa and ultimately being somebody who... Uh, advanced the game of hockey despite all the hurdles that were thrown at you thanks Ty. yeah I, I really appreciate it. and you know to all all the fans and the essay community there yeah just thank you so much for for all the coaches and people that's played a role in my in my life i'm still trying to get to to everybody out there yeah just a massive thank you to everybody and and trust me you know get behind our hockey men and women um there's big things coming yeah absolutely Ladies and gents, thank you for tuning in. If you are listening to this before uh, Thursday, the 12th of August, get online, buy yourself a ticket, 50 Rand, and listen. We have an exclusive behind the scenes. It's not going to be recorded and shared. Uh, a chat with Gareth Ewing, the coach of the SA Men's Tokyo. He'll also be available for half an hour afterwards for a question and answer. Check it out on all our social media channels. Um, so that's a in-conversation, a coaching conversation with Gareth Ewing. Uh, we'll even ask him a few questions about being a fans master and uh, if he could tell us what his go-to fans song was. As always, thank you for joining in with Hockey the Podcast. Rusty Peterson, absolutely great servant. Uh, it's been a great 90 minutes chat and, and we could have carried on going. I'm playing golf with him on Saturday, so we'll carry on the chat on Saturday. Um, but... Uh, you know, go back, check out our Talking Tokyo where we had all the stars join us. Listen to any of the previous episodes. We're closing in on 100. Let's plan something big. Uh, I think there will be a good few giveaways available. Thanks for listening. Leave a rating. Share it with your friends. It's free of charge, so why not? See you all again soon. Remember, if you have a hockey story, we will tell it. Cheers. <laughs>